The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox. The headlines this hour. Some of the biggest U.S. states reverse the reopening of their economies while Apple shuts more stores and McDonald's delays in-house dining as cases in the U.S. rise by around 50,000 in one day. Private payrolls in the U.S. rise less than expected in June as layoffs spike more than 300% on the year, with investors now turning their attention to the early release of the non-farm jobs report. U.S. and Asian equities are boosted by vaccine hopes as Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID drug performs well in human trials. But analysts do warn that more work does need to be done. And Wirecard offices are raided across Germany and Austria as police widen their investigation into alleged fraud at the payment firm to include more senior executives. So the U.S. has crossed another grim milestone with around 50,000 new coronavirus cases recorded for the first time. That's the biggest one-day spike. This is Arizona, Texas and California all set new records. Health officials in California say nearly 10,000 people tested positive. The governor has ordered indoor businesses, including restaurants and movie theatres, to close across 19 counties. The U.S. president has shifted his stance on wearing masks, now saying that he's, quote, all for them. In an interview with Fox Business, the president explained why he usually doesn't wear one in public. I'm all for masks. I think masks are good. I would wear, if I were in a group of people and I was close. You would wear one? Oh, I would, I would, oh, I have. I mean, people have seen me wearing one. If I'm in a group of people where we're not, you know, 10 feet away, and but usually I'm not in that position and everyone's tested because I'm the president, they get tested before they see me. But if I were in a tight situation with people, I would absolutely. Meanwhile, Vice President Mike Pence visited Arizona, where he urged people to wear face coverings as the state reported a record number in infections, deaths and emergency room visits. The rising cases here in Arizona is why I'm here. It's why we brought the White House Coronavirus Task Force here. I'm a real believer, as President Trump is, in, uh, in sitting down with the people that are leading the effort. I was in Texas over the weekend, I'll be in Florida tomorrow, because we're absolutely determined to make sure that Arizona and those healthcare workers have the resources, the supplies and the equipment they need to render the care that any one of us would want a member of the family to have. Well, our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to Vice President Mike Pence in an exclusive interview at 1530 CET. So let's take a look at some other stories. McDonald's shares have fallen in extended trading after the restaurant chain announced it was pausing its dine-in reopening plans for three weeks, citing a rise in coronavirus cases across the country. In a memo seen by CNBC, the company added that franchises, which have already resumed indoor service, need to carefully review state guidance uh, to determine whether they need to revert to drive-through or take-out operations only. 
Uh, elsewhere, shares in Apple closed uh, closed lower after the tech giant announced it is shutting down an additional 30 stores in the United States. This brings the total number of uh, reclosures to 77. The latest round of stores closing today includes outlets in Alabama and California as well. Uh, Back on the House, the U.S. House has passed a bill extending the deadline for small businesses to apply for a popular federal loan program. The legislation extends the date to request Paycheck Protection Program loans to August 8th. Uh, The measure which the Senate passed earlier this week now heads to President Trump for his signature. Good morning, Jeff. And I think you're looking at the walls, but I understand from that Fox interview uh, with Mr. Trump that he alluded to himself looking like uh, the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Very interesting. I wonder what you and I would look like in our masks. Yeah, I did. uh, I did see that. That did make me chuckle. I wonder if um, his uh, various constituents across the red and the blue states at the moment feel that he is uh, the Lone Ranger going to rescue them from their current predicament. But setting that just to one side for a moment, um, I was just thinking about uh, the the way to approach the wall this morning and that old uh, Godfather quote came to mind, that Sicilian message, do you want to swim with the fishes? But in this case, it's a big fish and it raises some interesting questions about who you listen to at the moment around equities and what you actually want to do. And I was pointing out the difference earlier in the week about the fast money and the slow money, the longer dated money. And this is one of those participants in the longer dated money story, I would say. Christopher Aylman, who is the chief investment officer for Calsters. This is a $240 billion fund that, among other things, uh, provides pensions for teachers in California. And he told CNBC market moves this year are, quote, utterly absurd. And he's decided to underweight stocks for the rest of the year here. Ailman said he plans to keep a lot of its, his cash on the sidelines or put it into more illiquid assets like real estate. It's always very interesting to hear what these large liquid investors are deciding to do with their money. We had a uh, split decision really yesterday. The Dow Finished the the trading session in negative territory, but as you can see, the S&P and the NASDAQ both closed out in positive territory. In fact, as far as the NASDAQ and the NDX are concerned, both having record closes. Um, The manufacturing ISM did a great deal, I think, to help put a, a little bit of momentum into the trading session. If you didn't see the number It rose to 52.6 in June. Anything above 50 indicates expansion. But there was a sting in the tail, and that was the employment sub-index, 42.1. So still below that 50 mark that represents expansion. Pfizer was another reason the market got very excited. Uh, Let me just uh, give you the snappy title, BNT162B1. And the reason that the market got excited about that is it is a drug that apparently successfully created antibodies in all participants that receive 10, 30 or 100 microgram doses. So that inevitably put a little bit of uh, fire in the belly for those who wanted to go out and trade the potential for some vaccine here and BioNTech also getting support. And we'll, we'll talk about this story a little later on because it was quite an important 
message to the markets about the potential here for some development of a vaccine. And as we barbell this program by talking about the negative of the rise in cases, there are inevitably some good things that we can discuss on the program, which is, uh, which is good and makes a pleasant change this Thursday morning. But what are the futures telling us then about what happens next? Well, broadly positive, I would say here, the Dow appears to be the only laggard in terms of the uh, potential positive start to the trading session. Very early doors, though, and one suspects that we, uh, we might see this number improve. The, the other issue today, of course, that'll be key is just where we're going on the employment picture. The U.S. is expected to add a record 3 million jobs in June, according to Reuters estimates. This after non-farm payrolls unexpectedly rose in May, raising hopes that the world's largest economy may now be showing proper signs of recovery. America's unemployment rate is also seen falling to 12.3 percent, while average hourly earnings are forecast to dip by 0.7%. And I've edged my way round here at the director's call just to give you a better look at the big chart that our graphics department has put together to show you the uh, movements that we've seen in the US unemployment rate. And that big block of red there shows you the huge decline we saw over recent weeks. Well, the US private sector added nearly 2.4 million jobs in June, with small businesses reporting the biggest uptake in workers. That's according to figures from payrolls processor ADP. But the survey missed estimates, and the labour market still has 14.3 million fewer jobs than before the pandemic. Fed officials edged closer to providing further clarity on the plan for interest rates and asset purchases. According to minutes from the central bank's June meeting, uh, no timeline was given for any potential moves, but there was some support for tying forward guidance to inflation. Policymakers also debated setting targets for Treasury yields following the example of central banks in Australia and Japan. However, some officials warned of the risks of so-called yield curve control. Stephen Blitz is chief U.S. economist at T.S. Lombard. He joins us now. Stephen, very good morning to you. Um, High-frequency economics morning. in their write-up of the Fed basically said they raise more questions than they provide answers. But I've seen other analysis suggesting that they have teed us up neatly for further easing in the September meeting. How are you reading the statement? Um, I think we're still in the I think the interesting thing about the statement is that uh, they led into the conversation two bits that suggested that there's some limits to their actions. Uh, And as far as the easing is concerned, of course, they're ready to do more if necessary, if the equity market goes down. But they did let on that with interest rates this close to zero. They wonder whether or not there's a limit or the, the effectiveness of uh, easing and asset purchases to basically put a bottom on the equity market, whether it's still going to be as effective as it's been. And it's something we've thought about, it's something I've thought about, it's something we've thought about as a firm in saying that they're reaching the end of this game. 
uh, you know, that don't fight the Fed. But when rates are this close to zero, how effective can it be at this point? And they're thinking the same thing. And the other thing they mentioned several times is whether or not the asset purchases and yield curve control, how do they maintain their independence? which sort of is a pushback to the MMT crowd that they're not ready to uh, adopt that just yet. Yeah, that, that's fascinating, isn't it? It's, it seems a, bit, a little bit late in the day to start uh, waving the flag around um, the issue of independence and, and whether they have okay. been uh, beholden to a little bit of political capture. But I thought the, the, the yield curve control question uh, remained unanswered effectively. They seem to be very wary about going there. But how are they going to keep rates pinned low just by using forward guidance? They can't. And, that's, and it can't because they have to continue to buy all these treasuries because the balance sheet is so large. The commitment is this great to do it. In 2021, we're going to see a bigger budget deficit regardless who wins. Uh, it's just a matter of which way the stimulus package goes. And so the only way they can control rates really is through the balance sheet. So they're giving this the intellectual exercise, and I understand that this is part of the process of what the Fed goes through. But in fact, they are at yield curve caps, and they are at yield curve uh, trading. With the, and they're doing that anyway, as you said, with forward guidance. So it's just a matter of formalizing it. But they're not quite ready to do it. And, and in truth, it's not something they have to worry about until next year anyway. So it's it's. Uh, uh, if the economy and the markets take off and inflation takes off and interest rates start going up, uh, that'll be a high-class problem for them to have to deal with. Absolutely, Steve. Look, um, everyone's obsessed by these, quite frankly, random numbers, as we saw with the revisions on the ADP uh, from the payrolls today as well. But surely the ISM needs a little bit more attention. The new order index was the strongest, not just since the coronavirus, but since January last year. Uh, the production index was the highest since November 2018. The ISM more broadly was the highest since April last year. These are stunningly good figures as well. Are we looking at the wrong data by our slavish obsession to the payroll figure, which, quite frankly, is utterly random? Well, it seems random, but uh, no, I think the IS, first of all, you have to remember the ISM number is a number that reflects a viewpoint. It's not a dollar amount. Okay, so sometimes it goes up a lot coming out of recessions. Uh, it's sort of the absence of pain. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, things are great. Um, but if we t tie this back to the Fed, here's the issue that they're facing. And this is the, the point that Powell been making and, and I've been making, we've been making the firm, which is that if, you, if this was a normal cycle and you were looking at the ISM, and manufacturing and the reopening of manufacturing capacity is always going to lead employment, uh, that you would extrapolate that forward and you would say, okay, by September we're going to be here and employment's going to be there. But the problem with all of that, right, is that you do not know which way the virus is going to take you in between. And in some ways you can say, look, this is June data, 
the resurgence and the shutdowns that we're seeing, at least in restaurants and bars and beaches in the southern part of the United States, uh, we don't know what impact, negative impact that's going to have on July numbers. And this is Powell's point about how the virus still leads. Now, if you go to Congress, and Republicans in Congress, Republican leadership in Congress really doesn't want a big stimulus package. And they're going to take the ISM, they're going to take the ADP, and what I imagine will be a very strong number uh, for June employment and non-farm payrolls, and say, look, this economy is coming back while the momentum, these virus things are hiccups. And so which way do you go? And I think Powell's okay. point is the virus leads. Let me ask you one more question. Jeff and I had the pleasure of speaking sure. with Charles Dumas, your colleague, earlier on uh, this week as well. I thought he was stunningly bearish. Are you as bearish as him? Well, yeah, because you look at the equity market and you look at where they are and getting back to this whole point about the virus and what it's doing, you're not going back to normal, Right a stunningly 90% of the people who are unemployed in the United States say they are temporary unemployed. They're not all going back to work. All their jobs aren't showing up. The re-shutdowns the re is telling you that restaurants, they may never reopen completely, or if, you know, absent a, a virus. And that's telling you that the equity market is priced to a world that's not coming back. And that gets back to exactly the point I was making before about if you just follow the economic momentum, you'd say, yeah, the equity market's right. But the reality is the virus is going to control the trajectory. The trajectory is going to be a lot slower. The overhang of unemployment is going to be a lot higher, especially in the service sector. And so these profit expectations and these multiple expectations just don't make they just don't add up Stephen, thanks for your time this morning uh, Stephen blitz the chief u.s economist for ts lombard still to come a new front is opened in tensions between china and the states amid the backlash over the new national security law in hong kong we'll update you on the latest Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to Scorebox. Let's take a very quick look at the Asian markets and where we're currently trading. The Nikkei uh, making heavy weather of it, really, trying to get itself uh, on an even keel today. 41 points to the good, up 0.2 of 1%. The broader topics making slightly better gains, 0.3 of 1% better. The Hang Seng, 1.5% higher. Straits Times, 0.3. And the Jakarta Composite trading up uh, pretty impressive, actually, by the tune of 0.71%. As you can see, the ASX uh, making a very good move to the upside, 1.7% higher. The U.S. House of Representatives, meanwhile, has voted to extend U.S. sanctions on Chinese officials who implement the new 
national security law in Hong Kong by penalizing banks that do business with them. Washington revoked Hong Kong's special status in response to the Chinese bill, which recommends harsh penalties for a wide array of political activities. The Secretary of State, Mr. Pompeo, called the law, quote, an affront to all nations. Republican Senator Marco Rubio is working on a bill that would prevent some Chinese companies from accessing American capital markets. In a statement to Reuters, Rubio described China's, quote, exploitation of U.S. financial markets as a risk to U.S. national and economic security. Tensions between the two countries have risen amid the coronavirus pandemic. Sam joins us uh, with more on this story. So a further development then in tensions, Sam. Yeah, that's right. Good morning to you, Jeff. So U.S. Senator Marco Rubio is said to be preparing a bill to ban Chinese companies from U.S. capital markets if they're found to be spying, abusing human rights or supporting the Chinese military. Now, of course, this comes after the U.S. government released a list of 20 Chinese companies last week. It claims are backed by the PLA. 13 of those uh, are said to have a presence on U.S. capital markets. Now, of course, this comes after U.S. President Donald Trump has called for recommendations to to protect U.S. investors from China's failure uh, to audit U.S.-listed Chinese companies. So it'll be very interesting to see how Beijing reacts to this if and when it happens. Certainly, as we are seeing a further commitment by China to further up its further open up its financial markets lately. But of course, we've got to keep in mind that uh, Rubio has taken a very hard line on China. And of course, he was the one that was behind that bill to sanction Beijing over the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. And actually overnight, the U.S issued an advisory uh, warning American companies about the risks of supply chains linked to human rights abuses in Xinjiang, including uh, forced labor. Now, in a statement, the U.S. government has said that companies should be aware of the reputational, economic and legal risks of doing business with such entities. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also tweeting this morning, warning U.S. companies not to be complicit. Now, of course, this is significant because this is a further sign of the U.S. tightening the screws on China amid this very controversial Hong Kong national security law. And actually, in the latest tit-for-tat, we've also seen Beijing now asking four U.S. media companies based in China to submit information about their work on the mainland. Now, these companies include AP, CBS, UPS, and NPR. And the Chinese foreign ministry has said that it wants these submissions in writing uh, within the next seven days. So certainly we are seeing heightening tensions between the US and China on yet another front. Guys, back to you. Terrific. Thanks so much for that, Sam. We'll see you a little bit later on in the programme. The OECD Secretary General says the US is still engaged in global talks on digital taxation. Contradicting suggestions from US Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin that Washington has pulled back from the talks. Addressing the organization's delegates, Angel Guria pointed to the presence of the US delegation, saying their participation is evidence Washington remains committed to the process despite their request for a pause. Well, speaking to CNBC yesterday, the Irish finance minister, Pascal Donoghue, also struck an optimistic tone over the future of the digital tax negotiations. I think we need to view what is happening inside the OECD at the moment as a pause that is happening for many different reasons. But I think it will be possible later on in the year or maybe early next year 
to make progress inside the OECD. And when that happens, I think that in turn will enable Europe to make its own decisions. I have a genuine concern uh, that we don't do anything at the moment that might further destabilise where we are with trade or destabilise where we are with getting jobs back and resuming normal trading within between different countries. And it's why I believe the OECD is the right form for making progress. But I think it will be able to make progress as we move later on in the year. The Americans have walked out of those conversations so far, though, Minister, and Europe doesn't seem to want to wait. So can you just give us a sense of how Ireland would be treated in a situation where Europe does push forward? Do you fear a backlash against Ireland? Well, actually, lots of different countries within the European Union have had a similar view to us in relation to digital taxation and concerns about what that could cause uh, in terms of a response from other countries, the effect that it might have in innovation and research within Europe. But this goes back to my point there about the OECD. It is the case at the moment that our colleagues in America have decided not to engage for now in the OECD process in relation to digital taxation. But I believe as we move through the year, uh, as we look at where the global and uh, national economies are going to be towards the end of 2020, I do believe it will be possible to make global progress on this issue. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.